but do you feel held by him? Does he feel like home to you? I can't believe we're at the end of Spooktober. I know. I the year is simply flying by. Mm-hmm. And so at work we have we keep track of like all of the weeks because it is like regarding the work we do. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I realized it was either this week or last week that we're on the forty second week of the year, and I was like, excuse what? me. Excuse me? I know. I'm going to need to sit with that later. Um, Isn't that crazy? That's shocking. I wasn't prepared for that information. Although I was literally just having a conversation with my roommate earlier because be- like, we always put up our Christmas decorations November 1st. And I'm like, that's so soon. <laughs> November 1st is literally around the corner. I've barely even watched any Halloween movies this month. Mm-hmm. And I already need to start watching Christmas movies in a mere matter of, I guess, days once this episode comes out. I like to picture you and Caitlin, like, with the calendar in front of you, and you're like, so <laughs> le- the next holiday is, mm, when basically. shall we put decorations? <laughs> when are we having our dinner party? What are the festivities? Yeah. yeah. It's it's coming so soon. And we wanted to get a bigger Christmas tree this year, but I don't even think we're going to have time. So we're just going to have to stick with stick with the old faithful and maybe we'll do an upgrade next year. But anyways, we're still in Halloween, though. It's Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Halloween, guys. I cannot believe. I feel like we're like going out with a real banger mm-hmm. this Hallow's Eve. Yeah. It's like exactly a week from Halloween. Spooky. <laughs> but uh, do you want to tell the people what we have in store today? Today we are doing the new horror classic 2019's Midsommar. Ooh. Very spooky. Um, yes. Also very different vibe, I feel like, to everything that we've done. We've done some some stuff mm-hmm. that's... You know, we did a classic, we did a little comedy, we did a little, you know, alternative kind of sleeper hit. And then this one was such a huge, like, box office smash and is also so different tonally to the other ones because this one takes place completely in the daylight. Right. That's probably the most jarring attribute of the Mm -hmm. film because so many comedy or comedy (laughs) so many horrors are like really like warm toned or like dark tones a lot of nighttime shots Mm -hmm. but it's so shocking that it's all all during the daytime yeah so if you are afraid of the dark this might be a good one (laughs) for you because it's never actually completely dark which is you might want to turn the lights off yeah. after watching this movie. <laughs> you might be like, "All right, enough of the sun. Get it out of my face. Yeah. I don't want to see any white linen ever again." <laughs> Never. I was kind of like spooked when they for well, I guess I could talk about it later, but yeah. the all night sun mm-hmm. does kind of freak me out a bit. Very eerie. Yeah. Eerie for sure. Exactly. Well, let's let's get into the numbers, shall we? Let's dig in. It's a finance podcast after all. Yeah, we all know why you're here. 
It's for these numbers. Exactly. This movie had a $9 million budget and it grossed $48 million in the box office. Very nice. Very nice. It was also one of Florence's big 2019 breakout roles. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this budget probably wouldn't even work for hiring her now. Oh, no. Because she's such a star. But it is really interesting that this was this was the first time I had seen her um, as a lead in a film. Yeah, me as well. This was kind of my first exposure to her. And I guess like 2018, she was just booked and busy doing Fighting With My Family, This, and Little Women because those mm-hmm. all came out the following year. So she was working a lot. Oh, yeah. And I feel like Florence also has a very relatable look to her. Like I felt like it's someone that I could know, like especially watching this movie where she's never really wearing like heavy makeup. Her hair is just like in a messy bun. She's wearing like normal clothes. It just felt like her character especially was really, really relatable. And I feel like that's also one of her personality traits. Whenever, Whenever she does interviews and stuff, I feel like she's really like, oh, me, I'm Florence. I'm like, you're down to earth girlfriend like jennifer lawrence vibes yeah she's she's very personable for sure so uh this movie was of course written and directed by ari aster who also of course did hereditary so this was kind of his his follow-up to hereditary which was such a huge Mm -hmm. like massive smash success right and he managed to follow it up with this which was also a massive smash success yeah so Two for two on these two. I have not seen Bo is Not Afraid, so I don't know if that's good or not. But yeah, this was – I remember it making a big splash when it came out for sure. Mm -hmm. And we also learned that the original cut of the movie was actually NC-17. But to get the R rating and make it like a mainstream film, they actually had to cut 30 minutes. But if you do want to see those extra 30 minutes, you can watch it in the director's cut. So I'm sure that there's a lot more horrific uh, <laughs> stuff that we do not see in this one. Yeah. While I was looking at the production of the film, I noticed Aster looked into a couple spiritual movements and communities and said he drew inspiration from Rudolf Steiner's anthroposophy and the theosophy movement. So different ways of like interacting with the world than a normal American perspective or like North American Western perspective, Mm -hmm. I would say. It's really rooted in like nature and like the world and looking at it in like a more scientific way externally from sensory experiences. And I definitely think that that came through in the film, like the separation of what you think is like right and wrong or what like is pain or what would be sad is like very separate and like rationalized. Yeah. It's it's interesting because like obviously this this movie is set in Sweden. Ari Aster himself is not Swedish. Mm-hmm. Um, but he definitely did a lot of research into more so like midsummer traditions because this is not like a real commune or society that exists right um so definitely a lot had to kind of be imagined but i was curious about how he ended up writing this movie because 
it is something that feels very niche to be like, let me write about a cult in rural Sweden. And apparently he was actually approached by uh, a Swedish film company called Be Real. And they wanted him to write a slasher movie set in Sweden. And he initially said no, because he was like, I have no way into that story. But then he actually like came up with this idea of two central characters who are like experiencing this tumultuous relationship and they're on the verge of a breakup. And so like that was kind of his way in. And by having our two, well, I guess like, yeah, our two main characters be outsiders to the community made sense for like him to find his way into it as an outsider Mm -hmm. himself. So yeah, very interesting. I noticed that you put in this like fun fact that audiences in Sweden didn't find the movie scary. They thought it was like a dark comedy, but it had <laughs> many humorous elements. And I'm just like imagining a Swed- a Swedish person saying this like, yeah, I mean, it was a really dark film in some ways, but that w- it was also really very funny. There was a lot of laughter <laughs> from the theater. <laughs> Yeah, I would have loved to have known what the vibe was like in a Swedish movie theater watching this one. Oh my gosh. Same. They're just like, oh, silly Americans. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, of course here. we jump off the cliff. It's <laughs> it's time to die. I don't know what to say. There was also a lot of like, obviously everyone in the commune is for the most part very like thin And, like, you can tell they're, like, very into, like, moving around, like, whether it's just, like, running and playing or, like, doing their exercises and stuff. And it reminded me of, like, that European mentality of, like, oh, I'm going to go do some sport in the morning and, like, I'm going to go for a run. And, yeah. Yeah. I was just, like, oh, my God, Europeans are so silly. (laughs) (laughs) So silly with your exercise and fresh air and – and fresh air. <laughs> Farm fresh food and whatnot uh, without yeah. pesticides. Yeah. <laughs> so silly. Yeah. And uh, our last little fun fact is that Ari Aster himself actually doesn't consider uh, the Hargas a cult. He considers them more a commune. And uh, we have this quote from him where he says, I never called them a cult. For me, they're a community and they are a family. I wanted them to exist as a place with a history and very clear laws and rules and traditions. I wanted all that to feel very rich and very lived in, mm-hmm. which I mean, it, it's what well, we'll talk about it throughout, but there's definitely the kind of like techniques that cults will use to like pull people in. I feel like the movie kind of like uses on us and at certain points us as audience members can feel ourselves like kind of getting sucked in a little bit, especially with how satisfying the ending feels. Right. When it's like incredibly fucked up in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, cause they, they do provide like a, a place of solace and a feeling of community and empathy, but at the expense of like literally being cut off from the entire rest of the world because they're such an isolated community. So mm. Danny goes from like one type of isolation to another if she – I mean, it's so open-ended. We don't know what happens after the end of the movie, obviously. But if she does decide to stay, it's just a different right. type of isolation. So interesting. Yeah. I can definitely say from the first time seeing this movie – In 2019, like I saw it in a theater and everything, I definitely have a different perspective on it than I did the first watch. Yeah. So 
I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, we just want to remind you that, you know, before Halloween, if you're looking for an extra little episode from us, you can always check out our Coraline bonus episode over on Patreon. It is featuring our lovely, amazing intern, Kate. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hear the three of us chat about Coraline and really dig into all the visual deliciousness that is that movie, uh, definitely head over to Patreon and check it out. Yes. And with that being said, should we just do a little dance right into it? (laughs) Make a little love, get down tonight. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so it was so hard to describe this Mm -hmm. because I really recommend you just have to Google it. But the first thing we see is this like panel painting of a tangle of like people there's like some sort of cord between these people and the sun at the top of the painting and then there's a man and a woman presumably in sweden she looks like she's crying there's a walk through a forest the next panel is some sort of ceremony and then the last one is a sun there's like two skeletons in the sky and then underneath that people having a feast and just look up like beginning painting uh, midsummer and then there's a woman singing in Swedish and we see scenes of this snowy winter Sweden just completely covered in snow and like shots of the forest and mountains it's very beautiful yeah this opening image I mean, well, this entire movie, really, it has so much foreshadowing in it and so many Easter eggs throughout and so many visual cues of what is going to happen that, like, it's really great to rewatch. Every time I do rewatch it, I get to pick up more and more that I, like, miss the first time around because you are able to, like, connect those dots when you actually know what's coming. And this, like, opening image basically tells you the plot of the movie, which is wild. Um so we'll, we'll talk about it throughout, but there's so much that's just like hidden in plain sight in this movie, which is very interesting. And also we see a lot of murals throughout. And I know that's because when they actually went to this region, um, there were lots of different like murals that they found in different um, buildings and stuff. So we see a lot of that uh, very similar art style throughout the movie. I guess this is like they must have done this, but I was just thinking they painted that entire barn. Yeah. Right. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. Yeah, the, the art director, the the art department, all the flowers kinda to you. Kind of went sicko mode. You kind of popped off on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but we then go back to America. We are in New York. Well, I guess at this point, actually, we're in Minnesota because the two locations we have in America are Minnesota and um, New York. Mm-hmm. So... In Minnesota, someone calls the Ardor residence, uh, but they get, you know, the voicemail. So it is Danny, Florence Pugh. She is leaving a message, checking in with her family because she got a really scary email from her sister, Terry, who isn't responding. And it sounds like she had a fight with her parents or something. So she's like, yeah, just get back to me. I love you guys. And then we see her parents are asleep in their bed. 
So we go back to Danny in New York City. Danny is looking at the email that she got from her sister, which just says, I can't anymore. Everything's black. Mom and dad are coming too. Goodbye. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Danny's looking at her call log. She's obviously called the mom multiple times. Nobody's picking up. So she decides to call Christian, her boyfriend. She asks what he's up to, and he's like, oh, I just smoked some resin with Mark, and we're getting pizza. And she's like, okay, I just wanted to see like if you still wanted to hang out later. And he's like, were we supposed to hang out? And she's like, I mean, no, like we didn't have concrete plans, but like I just wanted to see if maybe you wanted to spend time with me. I don't know. <laughs> I was really trying when I wrote these notes. Like, especially the first, I don't know, like, third of the movie, I was really trying to, like, be unbiased. <laughs> I was like, okay, I just want to, like, take it in. But, bro, Christian, not a no. good dude. No, no, no. He is public enemy number one. I know that people throw the term gaslighting around a lot, but he actually does <laughs> but do he this. done it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he done it. He and, is gaslighting her all the time. Like, I get, like, hanging out with friends, like, obviously. And right. she's not like, you need to come over. What the hell? She's literally like, oh, I was just thinking. She's, like, having a crisis. Yeah. And calling what we find out, boyfriend of four years. Mm -hmm. That's reasonable to call your long-term partner and be like, hey, I know you're busy. No pressure. But, like, if you want to hang out later. Like. Yeah. Uh, anyways, go ahead. It, it, this is only the beginning. It gets so much worse. <laughs> so he then is like, yeah, I should be able to swing by. And then he's like, how's your sister? Like, how's that whole situation? <laughs> we audibly hear multiple exhales on this conversation. It's like, How's your family drama or whatever that I guess I have yeah. to hear about? But she tells him that she emailed her back three times and still no response and she's getting worried. And he goes, again, <laughs> and tells her, it'll be fine. She does this every other day. And Danny's like, well, like she's – he says something like, oh, you always let her do this. And she's like, well, she's bipolar. Like I don't just let her do this. Like this is a serious situation. This is my sister. And like you also agreed that this email seemed different than the other ones. And Christian is like, yeah, but did it? And I want to punch him in the face. He's like, I'm really having fun. Like can we shut this down? Yeah, like my pizza's on the way. I don't think that the email was actually serious now that I think about it because I have pizza on the way and I'm hanging out with my boyfriends. So don't know what to tell you. He's like, you know, it's just like every other panic attack that she's <laughs> had before. And Danny, because she's being gaslit, <sighs> gives in. She's agree she agrees with him. She's like, you're right. Like, I just needed to be reminded. You know, I'm so lucky to have you. <sighs> Literally three minutes into the movie, and you're like, all right, facade is off. I have no. No I guess sympathy. I didn't try that hard because I definitely wrote gag. But she <laughs> says, I love you. And he again yeah. goes, I love you too. Uh, 
So after this awful conversation, there's nothing that makes me feel like more disgusted than when something like, like when someone says things like, it's like, oh, I don't know. It was, was it that serious? Da, da, da. And then they're like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I just had to hear you say mm-hmm. that because it's like, no, you need to trust your instincts. Yeah. He's just too immature. Like a good person responds, which I feel like, like if I was in this situation, I feel like you'd be like, I know it sounds traumatic, but like you need to call a neighbor or you need to call like of the fire department because if no one's answering, like it could be serious. Like I feel like yeah. a normal, mature adult would say that. Or even like if you think, you know, maybe you are overthinking it or taking it too far, but you know what? It's better safe than sorry. Right. Right. And I mean, we don't know if she could have stopped No, what happens. Yeah. But it is sad to see this conversation unfold before yeah. she finds out what's going on. So later on, Danny is venting on the phone to her girlfriend and she's like, I can hear it in his voice. He's just like working up the nerve to say something. She feels like he's going to break up with her. And her friend is like, just confront him, be straightforward. And Danny's like, I'm all, I've already scared him. I'm always roping him into my family crap. And then just today, I called him in tears because my sister wrote another scary email. And her friend is like, that's what he's there for. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's your boyfriend. And she also takes an Ativan from her cabinet. So we don't really ever go back to that, but it's just something we know about her. She, like, takes medication. And Danny is like, but what if I'm asking him to be there too often and it becomes a chore? Then she types a new message to her sister, just like begging her, begging her to reach out and contact her and telling her that she's worried sick. And she tells her friend that Christian never asked for anything in return. She's never even seen him cry. And I'm like, that's because he's emotionally stunted. Mm Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm the only one like leaning. And she's like, well, that's because you're the only one making yourself vulnerable. And I'm like, Donna is true. Yeah. This friend, you nailed it. Everything to a T. Then Danny gets a call from an unknown number. Oh, boy. But before we can see the trauma that's about to ensue, we go to Christian. So he is hanging out with his friends And they're like, bro, you just got to get off the fence with this. And he's like, oh, but what if I regret it and I can't get her back later? But Mark says, well, in that case, and you can complain to us and remind you that you've wanted out of this relationship for a year. And then maybe you can find, quote unquote, a chick that actually likes sex and doesn't drag you through a million hoops every day. I just, okay, this writing, I'm like, no one talks like that. Whenever I hear a guy say chick, though, I'm like, people don't say that in 2018. That's true. In 2019. Yeah, people don't say that anymore. Um, honestly, like, he he would he should have said, like, a female because that's what men like this love to say. <laughs> oh, just, like, a totally detached mm-hmm. from any humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> a skin bag with a vagina. Yeah, pretty much. That's when Josh then suggests maybe this is a masochistic way for him to avoid the work that he actually needs to be doing. Also, Josh is played by William Jackson Harper, who you may recognize as Cheedy from The Good Place. Yes, of course, Cheedy. Love Cheedy. So 
Christian then asks what work he's avoiding, and Josh says, I don't know, maybe your prospectus, your your PhD, maybe picking a, a thesis might be something you Just should focus thought. on. That's when the waitress comes over and Mark is like, you could be getting that woman pregnant right now, <laughs> you know, or think of all the Swedish women that you could get pregnant in June. Also, I oh, have to mention Mark is played by Will Poulter, who is mm-hmm. having a bit of a moment right now post he his totally turn is. on the bear. His eyebrows are so raised in the movie. Just constantly. They're they're up there and they're down there at the same time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, they mentioned that he could be getting women pregnant in Sweden this summer, which you want to keep in the back of your mind for later. But, yes, they do have a trip planned to Sweden to um, Pele's hometown. Pele is another one of their friends. So just at that moment, Christian gets another phone call from Danny. Mark is so over it. He's like, why doesn't she just call her therapist? And Christian says that she has one, and he's like, well, she, he should, she should call her. This is abuse. Like, she's abusing you, which... So Mark doesn't have a girlfriend, just no. so we're clear. It never has, <laughs> never will. Never will. Christian then answers the phone, and it's Danny wailing and sobbing. Uh, this is visually, for me, like the scariest scene in the movie because it yeah. feels like something that could actually happen. So we go to the Arter house... And the firemen are coming in. They go into the garage and turn off the cars. So the cars have been letting out exhaust in a closed garage. And we actually see these tubes hooked up to the exhaust pipes that extend upstairs. One tube is duct taped um, and funneled into Danny's parents' room. And another tube is hooked up with a gas mask to Terry's face. And we see this horrifying image of Terry leaning lifelessly on her desk. And we see the laptop in the background with Danny's messages. They're unread. Absolutely horrifying. Horrible. Horrifying, horrifying image. (sighs) We then see, you know, Christian walking through the snow to Danny's apartment. And he holds her as she sobs uncontrollably and is just screaming and we slowly pan out the window to see the snow falling outside yes which leads us into our opening credits so i'll just say this for clarity's sake we saw the snow falling outside mm-hmm. and the next thing we see we don't know the season yet but we've progressed to like may yeah. of the next year so it's about six months later and in New York, we see Danny curled up in bed, you know, having a hard time. There's also above her bed a huge picture of a bear and a figure petting the bear's nose. Mm-hmm. So just keep that tucked away in your mind. Yes. And Christian knocks on the bedroom door and asks how she's doing. And she's like, uh, where are you going? And he's like, oh, you know, I was just going to go to that party for like 45 minutes. And Danny's like, oh, I'll come with you. And he's like, are you sure? Like, did you get enough sleep? And she's like, I wasn't sleeping anyway. And I'm like, even in her darkest moments, mm-hmm. he manages to be so emotionally absent. Yeah. 
So we go to the party and Danny, she's like trying her hardest to not isolate herself. She, you know, is there. She's trying to social socialize, but she, of course, feels a little bit dissociated. She then hears the boys talking and how they mention their plans to go to Sweden to visit Pele's family in Halsingland. Is that what it? Halsingland. 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 That Mm -hmm. is tricky on my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, so Danny looks over at Christian, kind of confused, because this is the first time she's heard of these Swedish summer plans. And Josh, you know, explains that he's doing research on European midsummer traditions and everyone else is just coming along for fun. And Mark mm-hmm. says that Pele invited them to an authentic hippie midsummer on his yodeling farm. Mark is full of quips. Yeah. He, <laughs> I am shocked that he's in grad school studying anthropology with the rest of them, but that is the implication. <laughs> Danny then asked Christian if this is true. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's just, we're just thinking about it. And she asks when, and he's like, oh, you know, it's, um, it's mid-June to mid-July, which is two weeks from now. Yeah. In two weeks. Yeah. Oh, I, I, was, I was just thinking about it. You were just thinking about leaving in two weeks? In two weeks? You in two weeks. didn't want to mention it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm still on the fence. I'm still deciding. Mm-hmm. Which is a damn lie. So obviously the car ride home is uncomfortable and silent. When they get back to the apartment... Christian asked Danny if she's okay, and she's like, I mean, I just feel weird. Like, the Sweden thing was weird because I had no idea. And Christian, this is the definition of gaslighting. She's like, I had no idea. I feel really weird that you didn't tell me this. And he goes, I, like, told you I wanted to go. Like, I mentioned that I wanted to go, and I just decided today. Like, I wasn't keeping anything from you. And Danny literally goes, you already have a ticket. But she honestly says it like, she's like, you already have a ticket. She's like, so calm and nice to him. The way insane. I would have been yelling. <laughs> but I think too, like, and I don't, I'm not saying this to credit him, mm-hmm. but I do feel like different people respond differently to different ways of communication. Like, I think that Christian is definitely emotionally stunted. Yeah. He's self-centered, but he could be the type of person that would respond better to a partner who's like more confrontational right. and in your face because it seems like the way that Danny is, she's very understanding and very willing to com- to compromise mm-hmm. at every turn. And it feels like he just gets annoyed by that. Yeah. And that's like his own issue, but it's definitely like something I noticed. I was like, I wonder if this relationship would be any different if she did confront him about like things when mm. he was being a douchebag or wrong yeah but aside from that christian is like i'm sorry with like a fucking question mark at the end Ugh. and danny asks him to think about it from her perspective and she's like again very calm and she goes i don't mind you're going i just wish you would have told me yeah so christian tells her he apologized. He already did it. He already apologized, so he doesn't need to do it again. And she's like, you didn't apologize. You said, I'm sorry, which sounds like too bad. 
And he's like, all right, I think I should go home. (laughs) But Danny stops him and says she's not trying to attack him. And he's like, that's what it feels like. (laughs) Feels like I'm being attacked. And Danny apologizes. She says, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. And she tells him she just got confused and asks him to sit with her and they can talk about it. And she says that she thinks it's great and asks if he's going for his thesis. And Christian's like, I don't know what my thesis is. And I'm like, of course you don't. <laughs> and Danny's like, you know, it could be inspiring. Yeah, I mean, he can't even decide to break up with a girl he obviously can't stand. You think he's going to decide on his thesis? Please. Dumbass. Yeah, this whole conversation is so infuriating to watch. But, I mean, it's it's really well-crafted. It tells us everything about their dynamic. And Florence, oh, she's so good. So we then go over to, I think it's like either Josh and Mark's apartment or maybe like Josh, Mark, and Pele all live together. I'm not sure. Something like that. Yeah. But the boys are sitting around. They're, you know, planning their trip. Uh, Mark asks if there are any meatball sex clubs they should hit up before going north. The Swedish chef? You're making yeah. a Swedish chef re- like sex club reference right now? Can't stand him. And Pele's like, uh, no, we're going straight there. <laughs> so Pele's like, there's nothing I would hate more than going to a meatball sex club with you. Yeah, absolutely. So then Christian is like, hey, guys, just so you know, Danny is coming up here. Uh, by the way, I also invited Danny to Sweden, just so you know. Like, she's not actually going to come. So, like, just don't make it weird. But just so you know. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I, I invited her and she accepted, but, like, she's not actually coming. And they're like, what? Literally, what the fuck? Yeah. And he's like, well, you know what she's been going through? And they say, yeah. And then Christian's like, oh, also, by the way, um, I told her that you all said that I should invite her. And you know she's coming. Thanks, guys. So I just need to know what is happening in Christian's mind mm-hmm. that he would invite someone he whose company he sincerely dislikes yeah. on a trip. Yeah. And being like, yeah, it was actually my friends. They want you there. Yeah, they want you to come. I'm going to lie to your face. Yeah. With my friends who clearly also don't like you. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh. Been there. <sighs> rough times. <laughs> rough times. <laughs> Oh, what do you mean my friends don't like you? I mean, they can't stand me. (laughs) I mean, I see it in their eyes and on their faces. So Danny arrives and they're like, hey, so you're you're coming to Sweden. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if that doesn't completely ruin your plans and they all have to then be like, oh, no, 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 like. We want you there. And then Mark quickly is like, hey, Christian, uh, come take a look at this paragraph. And they go into another room just because Mark clearly doesn't even like being in the same room as Danny. So weird. So Danny then sits with uh, Josh and Pele. Pele, who's just been, you know, sketching in the corner, puts away his sketchbook. Oh, me? I've just been sketching in the co- – wait, no, no, it's Australian. <laughs> oh, I'm Pele. I've just been sketching in the corner. <laughs> Yeah, he's just an artiste uh, who also goes to grad school for anthropology, I guess. And um, they talk about, you know, how he's doing. He's been stressed, finals, blah, 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 unimportant. 
But he then asked Danny how she is. And she, like, you know, how did finals go for her? And she says that she didn't quite finish. They're actually, you know, they're giving her a break this year, obviously, with everything mm-hmm. that's happened. And Pele apologizes and Danny asks how he likes the anthropology department. He says it's good, but he can't seem to figure out if he likes academia or not. He then asks Danny about her major, thinking that she was majoring in psychology, but she was actually majoring in psychiatry. And she says, that's how you know she's nuts. And Pele says she also has that funny look in her eye. And they have like a cute little a little moment. <laughs> Someone's actually being nice to Danny and like yeah, making conversation. Asking how she is. Crazy. What a novel experience. Wild. And then he mentions her joining them on the trip. And she says that They'll actually be arriving on her birthday. And he's like, oh, like, that's amazing. And she says she heard the, you know, there's a pretty crazy week planned. And he explains that there's this whole festival with pageantry and dressing up. And he shows her all the photos of the the members of this community dressed up for midsummer in, you know, these handmade clothes and says that everything, you know, everybody does everything together. And then he swipes to an image of last year's May Queen. And Danny says, you know, it's beautiful because she has this gorgeous like flower crown on and this white dress. And he then looks at Danny and says, you know, I'm really glad that you're coming. Like, I think that this is going to be really good. And then he tells Danny that he never got a chance to tell her, but he's very sorry about her loss, you know. He can't imagine except he actually did lose his parents too. So he he can sort of imagine it. And Danny mm-hmm. like immediately starts tearing up and she has to excuse herself and go to the bathroom. Yeah. And we do this interesting shot where like she runs into the bathroom and it flips and it's her in the plane bathroom yeah. sobbing. Biggest plane bathroom I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe she's just such a teeny tiny little woman. <laughs> she's a teeny tiny bean. She is very small, I will say. She is. <laughs> and she kind of cleans up after sobbing and walks back out to her seat as the plane begins its initial descent to Stockholm. And we see Sweden from above the mountains and the water. And the group is in the car. Then we see the uh, image of the car going down the road upside down it like turns so it's this is like our first kind of distorted view and as it's upside down we see this sign for housing lens midsummer uh, above the road on some trees i did um google what this sign says it actually is a like anti immigration sign oh no way i thought it said housing land it does it does um okay but yeah it's based because like obviously there's a lot of themes kind of about insular communities you know some hints at eugenics and all that kind of stuff in this movie and that is you know won't get into the entire mainframe of sweden's politics but like there have been issues with you know immigrants having a hard time when they move to sweden and yeah it's like a Mm -hmm. sign that's like stop migrants from coming in kind of thing is what the sign says so wow yeah so at some point during this drive they arrive at this huge field and pele tells everybody that this is their first stop 
we see a bunch of people laying around and Pele says that there are other, you know, young people from his village who are also returning from their trips across the globe. He introduces them and we then hear a man, you know, yelling in Swedish and Pele comes over. They say hi. They share this like loving embrace and he introduces the group to his brother, Ingemar. And that's when they also meet Ingemar's friends, Simon and Connie. They're his friends from London. And Ingemar offers them some mushrooms. This is the first stop on the Mushroom Express. Yeah. There will be many stops. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the guys are like super excited and into it. But Danny is like, you know what? I think I just want to kind of like find my footing first before I ingest some hallucinogenics. She's Which, like, I just got off an eight-hour flight. Like, maybe I should take a beat yeah. before indulging. Eight-hour flight, four-hour drive. Maybe let me get a shower in, change my yeah. clothes. Then we can trip. But Let me get this yeast infection of, a, <laughs> of an underwear mm-hmm. pants combo off. Yeah, let me get these dirty sweatpants off my body real quick, and we'll be good to go. But Christian is like okay, like, I'll I'll wait with you because he wants them to, like, trip together. Which I was even surprised about that he yeah offered to do that. Well, I do think, like, the way that he suggested, he was like, I want us to, like, come up together. Like, I think he thought maybe this will be a fun experience for us and we'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. Because my girlfriend's been such a downer since, you know, the, the murder-suicide <laughs> that happened. Um, <laughs> but... God... Yeah, so he tells the guys he's going to take them later, but Mark is like, no, like we have to take them at the same time. We're going to have completely, you know, we're going to be tripping at different times otherwise. And then Christian's like, well, do you guys want to wait for us then? And the guys are just silent and it's so uncomfortable. And because of how uncomfortable it is, Danny gives into the peer pressure and she's like, you know what? It's fine. Like, I'm ready. We can do it now. It's fine. And Christian's like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, no, it's it's all good. I'm ready. We're good. Let's do it. It's <laughs> poor girl. Oh, yeah. So they obviously took the mushrooms. And the next thing we see is them all sitting under this tree. And someone asks what time it is. And someone else is like 9 p.m. But it's super bright out because... At this time of year in Sweden, the sun like doesn't go down. It's like a midnight sun. And Mark gets really upset and he's like, I don't like that. That's not okay. And someone walks up to them and Mark is like, I don't like new people. And the the person who walks over like doesn't even talk to them. He just like walks past. Mm -hmm. And then Mark is like, I'm going to lie down. Everyone lie down. Hey, lie down. Hey, Josh, Josh, are you laying down? It feels so yeah. good. <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> Please lay oh down. Oh, my gosh. And then we see Danny breathing heavily, and she looks down to see grass growing through her hand. And for some reason, the first time I saw this image in the movie, it, like, really freaked me out. But this time it felt a lot more calm. Right. And then she sees the tree breathing as well. And she does start getting a little panicked. She, like, gasps, and she stands up. She's like, I'm going to go for a walk. 
Yeah, this is prompted by Mark saying, you guys are my family. Like, you guys are my real family. Yes. So, and, like, obviously we saw her reaction when Pele brought up her family earlier. So, like, even Mm -hmm. just hearing, like, that word definitely sets her off. Very triggering. So, this I felt relatable to getting, like, high, like, smoking weed and Mm -hmm. and being, like, suddenly very freaked out and being (laughs) – yeah. <laughs> I got to go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. Um Danny talks to herself and she's like don't think that, don't think that. It's almost your birthday, you're fine. And she just tries to like self-soothe. And when she walks down the hill, she passes a group and she sees in her mind they're all looking at her, laughing at her. And she really starts to like freak out from that experience and Ingemar sees Danny and asks her how she is. And she's like, they're laughing at me. And he's like, no, I promise they weren't. They were laughing before you got here. And he offers to introduce her to his friends. And she's like, no, no, thank you. No. And runs into an outhouse in the field and lights a match and sees a woman with her mouth taped shut. I think it's the image of her, either her sister or her mom. Yeah, it's her sister with the with the with gas the mask taped. Tube. Yeah, yeah. yeah really awful and then she looks around but it's gone so yeah danny just runs out screaming and runs into the woods yeah as she's running through the woods she like is continuing to hallucinate she remembers like she has a memory flash of her parents and her sister watching tv and like her sister looking directly at her and the next thing we know danny wakes up And it turns out they found her, like, asleep in this field six hours ago. Ah. And it's now tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. This feels like when I would fall asleep in class and you'd wake me up and I'd be like, where am I? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you've been here for six – I found you six hours ago. (laughs) Yeah. Rosemary Quinn, like, tapping my shoulder, like, are you okay after I've fallen asleep? (laughs) Like, turns out I'm not okay. I've had 10 years of bad sleep. (laughs) You do have a great ability to just knock right out. I think I've, like, been getting chronically bad sleep for the majority of my life. Yeah. Um, Another detail that we also learn in this moment is because Danny asks, did the sun go down at all? And they're like, yeah, for a couple hours, but never completely. So it doesn't actually ever get really dark. And I mean, that definitely will fuck with somebody like not being able to measure the passage of time with, you know, the sun and moon cycle, just everything feeling like perpetual day. And I did find that it was like really tricky to keep track of how many days that they were there for because it's just sunlight pretty much all the time, even while they're sleeping. Um, but we do learn that the the time period for this movie is about nine days from when they arrive in at like at the commune itself to the end of the movie is nine days. In actuality, I'm pretty sure that like the Midsummer Festival in Sweden is seven days, but they use the number nine a lot in this movie for this like mm-hmm. particular commune. Yeah. But they do finally arrive at the Harga farmstead. Harga. Mm-hmm. So they arrive in this small, I guess you could call it a village, but it's, I mean, it's really just like this one specific area and everyone is wearing white. They're actually playing the flute. 
and it looks just insanely peaceful and idealistic. And we can see when they go into the commune, the community, um, they pass through this like archway and Danny looks like very like pretty much happy for the first time that we see her in the movie. Some kids come up to them and give them wild strawberries on a stick. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Delish. And they take their bags and Pele introduces them to Father Odd, who is like this elder guy in the community. Mm -hmm. And he says, welcome to everyone. But specifically to Danny, he says, welcome home and expresses how happy they are to have her there. Interesting. Yes. What is is this considered Nordic? Like is Sweden considered Nordic? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, yeah. Iceland are usually like considered in the Nordic region. I just find Nordic people to be so angular and odd. Um, but like in a in an interesting like puzzle way. Mm. Like they're just so interesting. I hope no one thinks I'm I'm being weird about Swedish people. I just am very interested in their way of life. I don't know. I never I never really thought about it. I guess I just went to school with a lot of Scandinavians. Oh really? Um yeah, there was quite a few people from like Sweden and Norway in my school. Mm-hmm. Um So yeah, I just like never really and I maybe I'm just used to used to it, but yeah. I just think their designs, like Nordic design is such an, Mm -hmm. it's very utilitarian and like not warm. Yeah. It's also very minimalist too. It's very minimalist. I find them very cold, but also there's like a sense of like heeg and like coziness and there's like a lot of like... Mm -hmm. Like, you'll go to Ikea and it'll be, like, really angular furniture, but it'll be, like, there's baskets and pillows and, like, mm-hmm. blankets. I don't know. I just – someone tossed me into Sweden. See see what happens. They, like, leave their babies out in the in the in to get fresh air when they go into, yeah. shor- into shops and stuff. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that one of the reasons that they decided to, like, do this kind of, like, commune setting thing in Sweden is because there is – like a big emphasis on community mm-hmm. and like responsibility to your community. So it makes sense to have this like hyper, like dialed up to a million right. sense of community. But it in is, this movie. it's such a different sense of community than like, I feel like in a lot of Asian cultures, mm-hmm. your family is like your life and your, yeah. like you would do anything for your family, but it doesn't feel like that's necessarily the most mm-hmm. important factor. It just feels like there's like an almost cold mutual respect where it's just like you have to follow the rules mm-hmm. and that is like happy and fulfilling. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like a warm, comforting mm. thing. Yeah. It's very interesting. Just my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then Father Odd tells them to let him know if they need anything. Today is all the festivities and tomorrow is just the ceremony. So the festivities begin. Music is playing. We see everybody run over to the maypole. 
Of course, Mark is ripping on an e-cig classic. <laughs> I just saw him like blow like a, yep. a smoke and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He's like, let me hit my jewel real quick. Yeah. We also meet Siv. She's, I don't, I don't think she's necessarily like one of the town elders. Is she? I guess maybe she is. We kind of find out more later, mm-hmm. but she's kind of like, uh, not a handmaid, but a facilitator almost like I feel like we don't know what her position is, but she definitely has a job there. Yeah. That's like, I need to be a part of the matchmaking and baby making in some sort of capacity. Yeah. So Siv gets up. She's on this little stage, this little pedestal. Siv initially starts speaking in Swedish before she realizes she needs to translate for the Americans and welcomes them to Harga and tells them a happy midsummer. She says it's been 90 years since their last great feast, and it is just kismet that it is also the brightest and hottest day on record today. So they all raise their glasses and cheers, and Siv brings this uh, fire torch over to one of the community members and says, This high, my fire. No higher, no hotter. And they all like raise their torches. We see one by one she goes to um, all these members and says the same thing. And then she commands the spirits back to the dead. And this officially marks like the beginning of the Midsummer Festival. Then we cut to this girl who comes back a lot in the movie, Maya. And she's looking at herself in the mirror and takes what we find out is like a ritualistic breath. It's this deep, sharp inhale, and it's like, (gasps) and leaves the room. She goes outside where all these people are like running in a circle, doing a chant, and Pelly tells the group they should join in, and Danny's like, oh, I'm too scared. And Simon comes over with some beers, and I'm like, where, where did you get those? They bring their own pints, I guess. I know. <laughs> They're like, we're British. Um, sorry. <laughs> they don't sound like that. I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, what are the kids playing? And Pele tells him it's a game called Skin the Fool. Keep that in your back pocket. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Terrifying. Mm-hmm. And as the kids walk by, Maya kicks Christian in the butt and smiles <laughs> at him. And I'm like, that's my move. <laughs> Just kick him and run. Kick him Leave in him the confused. ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it kind of works. It and does, yeah. Christian like looks back at her. They make eye contact, which they hold for a bit. And Danny sees the entire exchange, like almost jaw dropped, like, yeah. hello. But he he is like no loyalty or any sense of like no. humanity. So he's like, oh, Pele, like can just any anyone can join in? And he's like, yeah, like go ahead. And so all the guys get up and join in, but Danny doesn't, and it's just her and Pele. And he actually gives Danny a sketch of her for her birthday. Oh my god! Because it's today. And she thanks him, and he's like, oh, just between us. And she's like, thank you, Pele. Like, 
Christian forgot. So this is, and Pele looks surprised. Mm-hmm. And Danny's like, oh, no, no. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I forgot to remind him. And like, <sighs> yeah, he forgot your birthday because you forgot to remind him. That's healthy. Mm-hmm. So Danny thanks him again. And yeah, she just enjoys the sweet moment. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for all of like the fucked up shit that ensues, it'd be like, wow, what a cute little love story between Danny and Pele. Yeah. <laughs> but he has led them to a murderous situation. So I can't ship it as much as I may want to. <laughs> so <laughs> later on, Josh asked Pele, you know, how the commune is supported financially and he says that they do lumbering linen and homeopathics and then he points to some kids and says that they're carving runes for school and they also like they'll carve their own runes and put them under their pillow and like dream about its powers as they're doing their thing talking talking runes connie then asks danny how long her and christian have been together and christian says oh about three and a half years and danny's like uh no it's actually four He's like, no, it's not. She's like, yeah, in two weeks, it'll be four years. So he doesn't even know that they have an anniversary in two weeks. Oh, I thought she said four years and two weeks. She said four years and two weeks. I think she said in two weeks. Or maybe it is and. Either way, he did not remember their anniversary. Mm -hmm. So another strike against him. Absolutely. Christian then asks Simon and Connie how they started dating and Ingemar chimes in and he's like, oh, yeah, Connie and I were actually dating when me and Simon first became friends. <laughs> and Connie's like, Haha, no, like we had been on one date and I didn't even know it was a date. And Ingemar's like, right, 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 totally. Um, like we, what I mean to say is that we had just become friends and then Connie and Simon uh, started dating. That's what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> and that is engaged. what I meant to say. And now they're engaged. I'm so happy for them. Yeah. That couldn't possibly be a reason why he chose to bring these two individuals uh, to this horrific festival. Might not be any bitterness. Who knows? So Christian then points out this uh, triangular yellow building. The architecture is just like very interesting. We also see a lot of blue and yellow mm-hmm. in the color palette, which of course mirrors the colors of the Swedish flag. But yeah, it's this this triangle, I guess A-frame yellow building and Pele tells them that it's this very sacred temple nobody's allowed inside. And then Pele takes everybody over to the sleeping quarters to show them where they'll be staying. And as they're just, you know, taking a jaunt through the grounds, they see a giant brown bear in a cage. Now, I didn't Google this, but are brown bears (laughs) native to Sweden? I don't know, actually. Okay, the brown bear is found throughout northern Sweden. There we go. Oh, my God. Some of the most popular areas for brown bear sightings in Sweden include the forests of central Sweden, such as Halsingland, Dalarna, and Jamtland. Well, there we go. Are you kidding? Yeah, so they have a bear just sitting in this cage, 
the bear is very chill. Like it, he's it, very chill. He's probably been sedated. Absolutely. Yeah. And Simon is like, uh, so are we just gonna ignore the the bear? And yeah, that is exactly what they do. But this yes. is Chekhov's bear, and this bear will be coming back. So don't forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> it is the bear by Chekhov. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Connie then is like, oh, oh my god, I love this. <laughs> She's like, what's I that want this. There? I want to own this painting. <laughs> writing that down for your birthday later later on um but yeah connie points something out and they walk over and we see this series of paintings that tell a story and ingamar says it's a love story and in it we see a girl she sees a guy who she becomes infatuated with she puts a rune under her pillow and dreams about him we then see her cutting off her pubic hair and putting it in some food as well as putting some of her menstrual blood in a drink for him to ingest. He does so. They fall in love and get married. So it is wow. really the recipe for a love spell. They're like classic love spell. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Oh, it's actually a beautiful love spell. Where you ingest somebody's <laughs> fluids and hair, and then you fall in love with them, I guess. Ta-da! <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, Pele, meanwhile, shows the group of Americans to the barn where they'll sleep, there are these beautiful paintings covering the walls and the beams. And if I knew more about art, I could tell you the style that it's in. Mm -hmm. So Pele tells them all the kids sleep here until they're 36. Then they go to the laborer's house. And he actually lets them in on their lifestyle and how they view the life cycle. So they think of life like the seasons. Childhood is until 18. Then a pilgrimage between 18 to 36, which would be summer. Then 36 to 54 is working age, fall. And 54 to 72, you become a mentor, which would be like winter season. And Danny asks what happens after 72, and Pele's like, hee hee. Oh, yeah. He mimics like slitting of a throat. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, haha, funny joke. It's not a joke. It's so not a joke. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the men are asking very important questions like, where do you jerk off? Everyone's looking at you. There's no privacy. Mm. Danny goes around the corner and sees this wall of pictures. And the pictures are of all these women. We cut back to Pele talking to Christian. And he's actually telling him that he knows it's Danny's birthday today and Christian's like oh my god like I forgot did she say something to you and then Danny comes back out and is like oh Pele what are these and he tells her that they're photos of the past May Queens and he tells them they'll be here for that every summer they have a dance competition and the winner gets crowned the May Queen then a brunette girl randomly comes in and she tells them the children are watching Austin Powers if they want to join. <laughs> so I guess they do have access yeah. to like probs the internet and like recent or not so recent 
film release. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Films from the, you know, 20 years ago. The days of yore. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark thinks she was definitely checking him out. And he's like, I want to give her a bath. <laughs> so, <laughs> so nasty. Then a Christian comes up to Danny and asks to pull her outside and he shows her like a slice of bunt cake with a candle in it and begins singing happy birthday, which is like the most like embarrassing and mm-hmm. degrading moment. Danny looks so uncomfortable and in the background we see this group of women like swaying in unison. I think one of them is holding a baby. Yeah. And he keeps trying to light the candle, but like he can't get the birthday candle to light. It's awful to watch. It makes yeah. me want to throw up. And she's like, please, like it's fine. And Christian is like, you thought I forgot? And yeah, he's like, okay, I- I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I got fucked up by the daylight. I thought it was yesterday. And she's like, it's okay. And Danny just blows out the candle. There's so much that happens in the background of this movie. Yeah. That like, I feel like I want to watch it just to literally like watch the the background and the extras because they yeah. we have so many wide shots as well. Like this movie really takes advantage of using wide shots so we can see so many people in the frame. And we get to like learn we don't really the, the thing is is like we get to see all these things. We don't really get to learn about them so much because it's just stuff happening in the background that we don't understand. Like we see so many rituals and things that are happening behind scenes that normally your brain is like trained to not pay attention to like background actors because you're like focused on what's going on in the scene. But every once in a while something will catch your eye where you're like, oh, they're like beheading are they're like destroying a goat statue in the background of this scene. And then as right. we pan over, we see them like burying the head of this goat statue. What's that all about? But we never get to know because we're never let into the community. Mm-hmm. So it keeps like a distance between us and the community of like, there's all these things that we'll never understand. There's like looks that they give each other that we'll never understand. A lot of like the Swedish dialogue is not subtitled. Right. Which I kind of liked. Yeah, it's it's good because it, like, leaves us in the dark like we would mm-hmm. be if we were there. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, a whole separate movie happening in the background of this movie. Yeah, if we have any Swedish listeners, I'm sorry that I made fun of your culture, <laughs> but I respect it. And I would love to know your thoughts on the film. Mm-hmm. So that night... It's time, you know, everybody's turning down for bed. We do hear some babies crying in the barn. And that really is something I would not be able to deal with. I knew you were going to say that. From birth until 36 years old, having to sleep in the same room as crying babies potentially every night. I can't. I can't do it. I just couldn't. And that's why I'm not going to be a parent. Christina. (laughs) You're all one. You're all raising the babies. No. I'm a cool aunt and nothing more. (laughs) But yeah, they're they're turning down for sleep. And Pele tells them (laughs) that it's a big day tomorrow. It's the first day of the big ceremonies. And tomorrow is going to be... The Adastupan, I think, 
is how it's pronounced. And Josh is like, wait, like for real? Like a real one? And Pele says yes. And Christian asks what it is. And Pele says, you know, it's it's too hard to explain. Like you'll see it tomorrow. <laughs> Knowing what it is now, dear fucking God, what a crazy thing to leave someone in the dark about. It is too hard to explain. Conceptually, why they do it, but yeah. So Christian tries to Google it. He has no service. I kind of loved that he couldn't Google it, though, because I hate him. Yeah. And Josh won't tell them what it is either. Also fucked up of Josh, because like they're like, oh, is it scary? And he's just like, you'll see. And I'm like, wow, so, <laughs> so cavalier about this horrific thing that they're about to witness with no preparation whatsoever. Yeah, but jo- I mean, Josh, too, is like... He's so removed. He, well, I think he he's actually scared. I think he just tries yeah. to play it off. So the next day, we have the Atis Dupin, and we see people gather around these tables. There's no curvature. It's all straight lines, but it makes kind of like a, a, a number eight uh, figure. Mm-hmm. And there are also these girls who are walking backwards picking flowers. So they go to the table and they sit around, or actually they stand around, and there's some conversation amongst the Americans like, what are we waiting for? And Pally's like, until it's right to sit. So Father Odd at some point closes his eyes and this boy rings the bell. And that's when two elders walk forward and sit at the apex of the table. And they stand there for a moment and then they sit down. And without seeing them, the other half of the table sits. Like everyone sits, but I just really stood out to me that the people with their backs turned also sat at the same time. Mm-hmm. This reminded me a lot of when we were yes. freshmen. Yes. And we had to do these different exercises to like, you know, bond us as a group. And like there was one where we all had to have our eyes closed and every you had to say like all of the numbers in sequence, but you couldn't say a number at the same time as someone else. Otherwise, you would have to restart it. So we had to play that game all the time so that we would all like be very in tune with each other and like reading the energy of the room. It reminded me so much of that game or like Absolutely. when we have to do that with clapping and stuff like that. Absolutely. I, uh, yes. Yeah. I was thinking of that too. It's uh, so much. Yeah. But when you <laughs> so do much like, yeah, when you do spend that much time with a group of people, like you do get very, very in tune with, uh, you know, other people's energies. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about that today at work. Well, I didn't say this to anyone because I'm like, this is inappropriate. But in my head, I was like, there's a lot of women in my office. And I was just mm-hmm. like, damn, I wonder if we like work here long enough if all of our periods will get synced up. Probably. Probably. But just, a, just a passing that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so after they sit down, Josh asks Pele if those are the ones. And he's like, yes. So they put their hands on the table and everyone picks up their silverware, like again, off the queue of these two elders And Mark looks across the table and makes eye contact with the brunette from yesterday. I think her name is Inga, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Yeah. Inga. 
Then we see Maya carving a rune, what we later find out is a piece Mm -hmm. of a spell. Yes. And Danny talks to a woman who's holding a baby, and she tells her that the baby's mother is on pilgrimage, um, and the babies here are raised by everyone. So she's just takes a village, you know? Mm -hmm. And the woman at the end of the table begins a chant, and the man begins chanting too. And she does the (sighs) – Yeah. (sighs) And Danny watches them intently as they inhale and exhale sharply again. And another woman at the opposite end of the table – I think it's – is it Siv? Yeah. She raises a glass and everyone follows suit. Then their chairs are carried away. So the elders are whisked off. And everyone also walks away. They're all walking to an area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the actor that plays the male elder, uh, his name is Bjorn Andresen, I believe is how it's pronounced. And he's actually like a pretty famous uh, Swedish actor. He's best known for his role in Death in Venice. But I was looking at his Wikipedia page and apparently he had like a very tragic life and like there's a documentary about him. I think it's called The Most Beautiful Boy in the World because there was like at one point he was like considered to be one of the most beautiful like people on right. the planet. Um, but yeah, he had, he's had a very, very sad life and there's a documentary about him. So if you want to learn a little more, um, you can. But yeah, he's a very, very well-known Swedish actor. So we then go to this cliff. We see... The elders are being carried in their, like, thrones up to the top of this cliff, and we hear in the distance the sounds of horns, while everybody in the commune and, of course, our visitors stand at the bottom of this cliff. So Josh walks over to Pele and asks what the book one of the elders is holding, and Pele explains it's the ruby radar, it's their scripture. He asks to read it, but Pele says you wouldn't be able to because it's it's written in like an ancient alphabet. Mm-hmm. So we then see the elders get their hands sliced open and they put their hands on this rune to put their blood on it. Danny starts breathing really heavily as they look up to the top of this cliff and we see the elder woman standing at the edge and the tension builds and builds mm-hmm. as we see this woman put her arms out and we see her mouth is agape and Danny is breathing heavier and heavier. And this woman looks down like directly at Danny and they make eye contact. Yeah. And then the next thing we know, the woman jumps off the cliff and lands on the rock below. And it is a really really horrific and graphic image. Danny and Josh scream. Simon and Connie start freaking out. And Ingemar tries to say, it's okay, it's okay, it's part of the ceremony. But they're, of course, freaking out because they just saw a woman uh, fall off of a cliff to her death. They look back up at the cliff and we see the man, the elder man, walk towards the edge as well. Simon is freaking out, trying to be like, what are you all doing? Why are you standing here? Like, somebody stop him. But the man jumps 
However, he doesn't land on the rock. He lands next to it. Uh, straight down. Like, he lands feet first. So he does not die on impact. Instead, his leg is, like, super fucked up. It's really... It's really horrifying to look at. And... Unfortunately, he is still alive. So... We then see a man in the crowd who is holding a giant wooden mallet, and he walks forward with uh, three other community members, and the man takes the mallet, and he smashes the elder's face. He then passes the mallet to the woman next to him. She smashes. Then another woman does, and I'm like, okay, I think we got him. I think he's... I feel like they Good. did it in succession because they're like, we all have to be a part of yeah this ending of his life. And also before they use the mallet, everyone who's a part of the community yes. is like screaming in pain. They're like freaking out. And yeah. Yeah. They're feeling like his pain of not dying on impact. So once he is dead, uh, they do stop screaming. But yeah, it's, oh my gosh. The first time I watched this, I was like. It's shocking. Yeah. So Simon takes Connie's hand. He's like, okay, we're, we're getting the fuck out of here. Like, you guys are all fucked. Then Siv runs up to them and tries to, like, calm them down and explain to them that this is a long observed tradition and that those that jumped they've just reached the end of their harga life cycle and they should understand that it's a great joy for them to you know have jumped and when it's her turn it'll be a great joy for her and a baby who's not yet born will inherit their name that this is like a very important and normal part of their culture and she says, instead of dying in fear and shame and pain, they give their life out of gratefulness before it can spoil. Siv then addresses the whole group and tells them that it does no good to die lashing back at the inevitable. It corrupts the spirit. And Ingemar then apologizes to Simon and Connie for not warning them better. Yeah, I think that they probably should have been told, like, even if it wasn't yeah. exactly what happens, like, at least be like, there are a lot of customs that we have. Like, I don't know if you'll be okay with all of them. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really want you to think about it before, like, making this your fun summer trip. Yeah. Um, But I do feel like, like, Danny has a strong reaction, right? She's like terrified it also reminds her of the painful death she just experienced yeah but i just feel like simon and connie suck like i do feel like they definitely came for like a good time they're like yeah i'm gonna go to like a midsummer festival yeah and like for me when they come with the beers like those big drugs of beer right. i was like this is like gives me like Oktoberfest vibes and it's right. like that's not the point of this. Um and so I kind of just felt like pissed off when they started making the entire ceremony about them. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's one thing to be like 
this is fucked up or like, I don't like this or whatever, want to walk away. Mm-hmm. But to be like, everyone, you have to stop them. You have to stop them. Like it's ruining their ritual and you have to be respectful of like them doing that because that's something they clearly, they, this whole thing led up to it. Like they wanted to, right? you know, end their lives this way at 72 as well. Like it's not like they've, that it's not like they're 30, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Um yeah. Yeah. That's just I my mean, opinion. It's, it's it's an interesting like thought to be like, oh, we're because like obviously it's it's done with a lot of reverence for their elders. But of course it also brings up, you know, aspects of ageism, kind of thinking like, oh, that they just like wither away and aren't necessarily of use after a certain age because maybe their bodies don't perform in a way that like serves the community or whatever. Like it's a very complicated thing. I can understand why one might want to end their life before getting to a point where they are incapacitated or if their mind goes or, you know, whatever it may be. It is a really shocking way that they do it, especially because they have access to drugs, clearly. So to see it done in this in this really graphic, violent way is jarring. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree that Simon and Connie are clearly like... I, but then it also falls on Ingemar who like obviously didn't prepare them for what they're about to come into because he wanted to lure them there with like the promise of a good time. So yeah, it's, it's so, there's so much to it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. There are so many layers. I was, I can't remember if I said this on mic or not, but in Sweden, what you can do is if you're ending your life, like as a conscious choice, and someone in your family like helps you with that act, they would not be tried. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wouldn't be illegal for them to do. But in other countries, like I want to say Norway, they have assisted suicide where you can like call and be like, I want to end my life. And someone will actually like come assist you like a hospice type of thing to be yeah. like, I'm assisting you with your suicide. And um yeah, very interesting. We don't have anything like that in the U.S. There are some states where you can like die with dignity, they call it, where if you're suffering from a chronic illness, you can choose to like end your life peacefully. Yeah, with like doctor-assisted um, suicide. Yeah. Right, right. But I did find that really interesting that mm-hmm. they added it just in the movie in general. Um, this like very big display of ending one's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, so many different cultures have different views on it. Like, I know in Singapore, it's illegal to commit suicide. So if you fail, you'll be, like, arrested. Whoa. Which is – or, like, you know, the police will be involved because I know somebody who had to, like, get interviewed by the police because somebody that they knew had, like, attempted suicide and failed. Wow. So – Singapore has a lot of stuff that's illegal, though. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of – there's so many laws. Um, but, yeah, I mean, every every culture has a different approach and view on just death in general. But, 
yeah, this one, this one is really shocking to to see. It is it is really gruesome. So if you are it not is. a fan of gore, this is maybe a scene to fast forward through. So they're walking back to the village, and Christian asks Danny if she's okay. She's clearly not. Yeah. And she says, I just really need to like not be here right now. And she kind of starts like veering off the path. And this really bugged me. Is Christian just goes, Yeah, go go take some time alone to process it. Like he doesn't even offer to be there with her. She didn't even say, like, I want to be alone. She's like, I just need to not be here. And he's just like, Yeah, go, go take some time. Take care of yourself. Um, just like another instance of him not having any interest in supporting her. But we then see her walking through the field. And as she walks, she just continues to cry and gasp until she eventually stops and kind of like doubles over um, with her really heavy breathing. And I mean, Florence is really amazing in this whole movie, but this moment is so good. And especially knowing that she herself has like a hard time crying on camera. Oh, really? Like the way, the way that this scene builds as she's like walking and walking until she gets like so overwhelmed with what she's feeling that she has to stop and like doubles over. We see that like physical manifestation of what she's feeling is so great. And so it makes me sad that like this scene gets turned into a gif that's used as like a reaction to things on Twitter all the time. Cause I'm just like, damn, it's so hard when you're an mm-hmm. actor and you like do the performance of a lifetime just for it to be like a reaction Memified. photo on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> or even worse, you do an awful performance and it gets me. Yeah. <laughs> True. Marriage story. Oh yeah. So Christian finally gets back to the barn and asks Josh if he's okay. And, He tells Josh that he's been thinking a lot about his thesis and he's going to do it on Harga and he wanted to tell him first. So it didn't seem like he wasn't telling him. And Josh is like, I can't tell if you're choking. And he's like, I'm going to do my thesis on Midsummer. That is why we are here, first of all. Mm -hmm. And Christian tells him he's not doing it on this community. He's going to Germany and England next. And Josh tells him he knew he was going to do this. And Christian's like, no, I didn't. (laughs) And Josh is like, this is what I've been working toward and you know it. And what you're doing, it's unethical, leechy and lazy and kind of sad. Yeah. And tells him to go find his own passion because he's actually invested in this. Christian is like the most passive character I've ever seen like yeah can't make a decision can't get a fucking backbone like no has no sense of inspiration he's just like here he's witnessed this horrible thing and he's like well that was shocking and that was a crazy thing I guess I'm gonna write about that because I literally don't have anything else driving me I don't have any other interest that's driving me right can't break up with this girl who I absolutely can't stand uh, can't make a decision and I suck. That's my, that's my impersonation of Christian. (laughs) (laughs) So he ends up leaving the barn and Mark strolls up. He's been missing and he's like, what the hell? I can't believe like you let me sleep through that. And I'm like, how are they supposed to know? Yeah. First of all, how are they supposed to know? Second of all, why do you want to see that? Yeah. 
I guess that's the better better question. Yeah. Why are you so depraved? Mm-hmm. So we then see, you know, in the background, uh, the commune are preparing the dead for for burial, and Josh then goes up to Pele and is like, "Hey, uh, Christian stole my thesis idea." And Pele is like, oh, I mean, I don't think that the elders would approve of anything being written down. You know, they're extremely protective. And Josh is like, okay, but I was planning on using aliases. But Pele says, you can't do that. Like, you wouldn't be able to get it peer reviewed then. And I told Christian the same thing. I'm telling you now. And Josh is like, well, I thought you said you didn't talk to Christian yet. And Pele's just like, uh, 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 caught in a lie. <laughs> caught in a lie, you are, Pele. <laughs> So <laughs> really funny impression. <laughs> oh, sh- you, uh, 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 Shut the fuck up. Yep. So Pele gets really frustrated. And he's like, "All right, fine. Like, I'll I'll talk to the elders. I'll see what I can do." Yes. So in the barn, Danny is packing her bag, and Pele comes in, and she's like, "I'm sorry. Like, I need to leave." And Pele says he shouldn't have let her stay to see that, and he knows it looks extreme. But and Danny just cuts him off and says she doesn't know why she's here or why he invited them. And he says he invited his friends because this is a once in a lifetime thing and he wanted to share it. He's proud of this place. And Danny's like, I'm not an anthropologist. I don't understand any of this. But Pele says he was the most excited for her to come. Mm. And he pulls something out of his pocket for her to smell to calm her down. And he like sniffs it and he's like, this will calm you. And she's like, I, no, no, thank you. Yeah. And Pelly tells Danny he knows what she's going through because he lost his parents too. And Danny's like, that's not what I'm talking about. But Pelle like does persist. And he's like, I know what you're going through. I, I lost my parents in a fire when I was very young. And Danny keeps crying, but Pele says he knows exactly what it's like for her. But the difference for him is that he never got the chance to feel lost because he had a family here. Everyone embraced him and he was raised by a community where he always felt held by a real family, which everyone deserves, which she deserves. And Pele holds Danny's hand And she's like, Christian could like walk by any second. But Pele is like, that's who I'm talking about. I like Christian. He's my friend. But do you feel held by him? Does he feel like home to you? (laughs) When the murderer asks you if he feels like home. And this is where I'm like, damn, maybe I would get seduced into a cult because when I watched Uh, this scene, I was like, like, he's being so supportive. It's hard because obviously Mm -hmm. there are some questionable actions on his end. But I mean, it's true. Like, she doesn't feel. Yeah, he's not wrong. Christian is. Can't even support himself, honestly. Yeah. Much less someone else. And I do feel like this question, I've it can be asked for anyone who's in a relationship. Like, do you feel mm-hmm. held by them? Do they feel like home to you? Yeah. And if the answer is no, I think maybe it's not going to work out. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, when I was when I was watching this scene, I was just like 
if this were a different kind of movie, <laughs> yeah, if there was not the if fucked up like shit. Like when Harry met on, Sally, I'd be like, wow, what a great monologue. But I mean, but you know, like I said, what he's saying is not wrong, and like it is important to have that sense of community and and that feeling of like unconditional love and like you are embraced and danny Mm -hmm. has lost the only family that she's known and had and her soul support system is like a shitbag who won't even like look in her direction yeah because we really see her after her parents pass like relying on him for everything we don't see her with like her girlfriends or any of her friends no venting or or what have you it also sounds like um, because in the beginning of the movie, she's like, I'm always dumping my family stuff on him. And mm-hmm. she already had a really difficult family life. It sounds like it was very turbulent and not peaceful. So in addition to that, it was like, wow, I'm never going to have anyone who loves me. Like, I, yeah. I feel like she feels very trapped to him because she doesn't have anyone else. Yeah, and it's because she is so isolated that she is the perfect candidate for Pele and this community to latch onto and pull into the fold because she really doesn't have a support system elsewhere, Mm -hmm. and they are offering her one that is so all-encompassing. Yeah, she's also a very empathetic person, Mm -hmm. and I feel like she fits very well into the type of person that is in the community so yeah because there's there's such a huge emphasis on on empathy in this community like the way that we see all of the members externally react to others pain or like like feel it themselves is like really wild to see a physical manifestation of that um it also i don't think is a coincidence the fact that she looks like everybody there as well definitely definitely yeah so after this moment we cut to like a really horrific image of the corpses of the two elders um being burned i did not into, watch that turned into ash uh while the community watches and it's mm-hmm. a real close up so it's a rough one to see um Later on, we see Danny sitting alone in the grass when Christian joins her and checks in on how she's doing. And he's like, you know, today was tough. Uh-uh. She just turns around and looks at him and is like, were you not disturbed by what we just saw? And he gets like very defensive. And he's like, of course I am. Like it was, it was really shocking. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind to their culture. And he does say something that I thought was like, interesting where he's like you know to them it's probably really horrifying that we stick our elders in nursing homes i think that's horrifying yeah i don't want to put my parents in a nursing home yeah that's just me Mm -hmm. and he says that they just really need to try and acclimate yeah so that night everyone is getting ready for bed and danny goes over to josh to ask for a sleeping pill which he gives her And later on, in the middle of the night, Danny wakes up to the sound of some people moving around, and she sees the beds next to her empty. And Josh, Christian, and Mark are all sneaking out with their bags. So she goes outside to follow them, 
and hears a car start and watches them drive off without her. Siren lights flash on her face and the car exhaust fills up the screen and Danny like opens her mouth to scream and exhaust comes out. And then we cut to images of yesterday and her parents laying in bed as well as on either side of the ceremonial rock and her sister leaning against the rock with the exhaust hose taped to her mouth. So it's definitely for her, like, especially with two people Mm -hmm. taking their lives, like a very mirroring uh, experience of her parents' death. And yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So of course this, this is a nightmare that she's having. And while everybody is sleeping, we pan over to Maya who is sitting up in her bed and staring at Christian holding her little carved rune. She then ever so silently gets out of bed, sneaks over to Christian's bed and slips the rune underneath. As she walks back to her bed, we see that Josh is awake and watched this whole thing happen. So in the morning, we see the ashes of the elders are retrieved from the fire pit and they're shoveled into the base of this fallen very, very large dead tree. Mark and Josh then go over to Pele, who's doing some gardening. This is another instance where we have a super wide shot. And as we're panning over, we're seeing so many stories in the background. Like this is where we see another ritual happening where they're like Mm -hmm. destroying a wooden goat figure and all kinds of stuff is is going on. But Mark and Josh go over to Pele and Josh asks Pele if there's any update from the elders and turns out the elders have agreed he can do his thesis on Harga so long as he doesn't use any real names or doesn't even hint at the location. He also has to split it with Christian because Christian is the one who asked him first. So Josh is very excited and, you know, they're all good to go. And that's when Josh then asks Pele what this rune is that he found under Christian's bed. And Pele says, it's a love rune. It casts a love spell. Mm. Christian then walks up and, you know, Pele tells him the news about the thesis. Christian is stoked and also says, oh, I think my sister Maya has taken a liking to you. And this is where the camera shifts focus and we see Maya in like the far, far background of the shot. Um, I think she's picking flowers backwards with the other women. And he says she just got Bixmind, I believe, is I how I do not it's know pronounced. how to pronounce it. That just <laughs> happened help. last year. And what it means is she's now allowed to have sex. I think he calls it like a pants license or something like that. Yeah. And Christian does, you know, take a little peek over at her. Someone appears to be interested then suddenly one of the harga members starts yelling in swedish no no get the fuck away from there what are you doing what are you doing we see that mark is peeing on this large tree this large fallen tree the sacred tree so i think that this is what's his name Ulf is his name. He comes back into the picture later. But yeah, he's like yelling at Mark. 
to stop. He says those are our ancestors that you're pissing on. And like Pele has to pull Mark away before Ulf like attacks him. And he tells Mark that he peed on the ancestral tree. And Mark is like, well, I didn't know that it was special. Like I just had to pee. So it's a big faux pas for sure. And people are upset, understandably. Right. So back at the sleeping quarters, Connie tells Danny that her and Simon are leaving and Simon is getting a truck to take them out of here. Then Father Odd comes over and Connie is like all packed up. She has her bags on and he tells her that Simon actually already got a ride to the train station And once he gets dropped off, he's sending the truck back for her. And Connie is very confused and upset as to why Simon would just sleep without telling her. And Father Odd is like, there were only room for two in the truck. And today's only train leaves in 90 minutes. So they need to get there in 30 minutes and get back. You know, he didn't want you to miss the train. And so Connie says she could have sat on his lap, but Father Odd says they don't break traffic laws. So it's just a very, very tense conversation. And Mm -hmm. Connie is really upset and confused and doesn't believe that Simon would leave without telling her. And Father Odd tells Danny lunch will be served soon. Yeah. Yeah. The tension is arising. So we then see Christian interviewing another commune member about how jobs are assigned when Danny comes over and is like hey Simon left without Connie and Christian just is like oh what a dick move like that sucks doesn't even think huh that's weird that's like that seems out of character that he would just leave her but then he instantly turns back to the guy and he's like uh speaking of couples like is there any issue with that here you know like with incest and the man actually says that the bloodlines are very well preserved so all the elders must approve mates he mm-hmm. says that cousins can sometimes mate but they do respect the incest taboo so they often need to invite outside people you know to come in to mate with them right. and it does look like the there's probably about i don't know like maybe a hundred people living here so yeah, going to be difficult to avoid incest around there. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So Danny is walking around the community when a woman asks if she'd like to join them in the kitchen. And Danny's like, sure. But also asks if she's seen Simon because that's still on her mind because she cares about people. Mm-hmm. And the woman says he was driven to the station. So Danny goes into the kitchen and a woman actually puts an apron on her and she helps make the meat pies. And Maya is working in the kitchen as well. She's making a very special meat mm. pie. Yeah. So just to review, um, so far she has carved her, well, she's seen her, you know, her desirable. She has carved <laughs> her rune. Yes. And now what's, what's the next step? It's, uh. A little hair in some in some food and a little blood in some drink. So <laughs> let's see what lunch has in store. <laughs> Shall we? I did like the scene where she goes into the kitchen, though, because it's really the first time Danny has this camaraderie yeah. around her. And 
The women also, because they're so familiar with one another, there's like a lot of physical touch happening. Mm -hmm. Like they put the apron on her and like tie it for her and stuff. And another woman is like, oh, you're so pretty. And they're all very comfortable with each other because they're so just close knit. And you can really tell it touches Danny and she feels really accepted. Yeah, especially because up to this point, like we've barely seen her interact with any other women at all because she's mostly been like with the guys this whole right. time. So it's such a nice contrast to see her like in this more warm environment where people aren't looking at her like they literally hate her. <laughs> so meanwhile, Josh is with one of the elders who is explaining their scripture book, the Ruby Radar, and you know, teaching him how to read the runic alphabet and how this book is actually a work in progress because they're always adding to it. They actually have like hundreds of them. And he says that this iteration is being written by Ruben, who is uh, one of the disabled members of the commune. Mm -hmm. And they say that he draws and then the elders will interpret it and like, you know, dictate it in this book. He says that Ruben is unclouded by normal cognition, which makes him open. Josh asks what happens when Ruben dies. Like, do they just wait for another disabled child to be born to, like, take over this sort of, like, oracle position? Mm -hmm. But the elder says that Ruben was actually a product of inbreeding, and all their oracles are deliberately conceived that way he does say that yeah josh then asks if he can take a photo of this book and is turned down immediately that is a no-no do you think at this point that the elders think the thesis will be made or do you think they've just kind of given him fake permission and they know it's, it'll never leave their commune I was thinking about this because we do see at the beginning that there are others. Mm -hmm. There are some other outsiders besides right. Connie, Simon, and obviously like our core four over here. But they just kind of like disappear and we don't really see them again. I was wondering if they just start integrating and that's why mm. we don't notice them. Maybe. Or if they like manage to leave on their own accord. Like I don't know what ends up right, happening, but right. it's because – Pele, Ingemar, and um, oh my god, literally, what is his name? <laughs> uh, Ulf are the three that bring outsiders because that's mentioned like later on, like Ingemar and Ulf brought outsiders too. So, yeah, I don't know like what happened to them. So, I do think at this point it is kind of like up in the air as to which of them is going to not make it. So I think that mm -hmm. they there is a possibility at this point that he may, you know, survive, which is otherwise like they would just let him take the photo, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's very ambiguous. Yes. So we cut back to Danny, who is pulling some pies out of the oven when she hears a woman's scream in the distance. And... Meanwhile, Mark, who is fucking around in the grass in front of the sacred temple, also hears the screams, but instead he gets distracted by Inga, who waves at him, and then someone just calls out that supper is ready. So they all sit down at the table to eat 
and they're served the pies. And Danny asks if anyone has seen Connie. And Mark is like, I'm pretty sure I saw her trying out for the sprinting Olympics earlier. And one of the members cuts in and he's like, oh, perhaps perhaps I can explain. Um, Simon called Connie from the train station and calmed her down. And she begged their pardon and he drove her to meet him. So those screams you heard were actually nothing. Yeah. What screams? Don't worry about it. What screams? Hmm? That so was weird. goat. Weird. Bah. <laughs> Danny is still confused as to why Simon would leave without Connie. And Christian says it was probably just miscommunication. And Danny actually says that she could see him doing that. And Christian's like, what the hell does that mean? And Danny is like, never mind. He absolutely would do something like that. 100%. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Then Josh asks Christian if he learned anything about the Ruby Radar, and Christian is like, oh, now now you want to collaborate? And I'm like, you have done no research because you have no yeah. follow-through. Yeah. And you also have no context for anything. You haven't been, like, researching communities like this right. for months, maybe even years. Exactly. Then Christian takes a bite of his pie, but as he chews, he notices – there is a hair in his mouth, a small red pubic hair. And guess who's staring at him? It's Maya. Yeah. And I think Mark is like, oh my God, that's a pube. Oh, that's so gross, dude. Like, yeah. But he's like, no, no, it's just like a hair. Like, he tries to brush it off. And that's when we see this very. I love this shot where it's like yeah. we see all the juice in a row and his is just red-hued, mm-hmm. but not enough to like noticeably be different. Or maybe he's just such an unobservant fuck that he like has no idea. <laughs> yeah. But he drinks some of the juice and then suddenly Mark gets tapped on the shoulder by Inga who's like, I'm going to show you. Come with me. Show you what, bro? Show you what? He said, stay less. I'm there. I'll follow Mm -hmm. you to the ends of the earth. (laughs) He's like, I would love to give you a bath. Did you know that? (laughs) I would love to touch a human woman Mm -hmm. um, just once. Just once. (laughs) So that night, Danny asks Josh for another sleeping pill. He gives her one. Josh gets into his bed, but... He keeps his shoes on. You may be thinking, Mm -hmm. that's just what some Americans do. But no, this time he has some intentions with it. So in the middle of the night, he gets up and sneaks out of the sleeping quarters and sneaks into the Ruby Radar room so he can secretly take pictures of it. Of course, because he's standing with his back to the door like an idiot. (sighs) Somebody walks in and Josh turns around and he's like, what the fuck, Mark? Like, what are you doing in here? We're not supposed to be here. I'm like, you're not supposed to be here. Why would you do this? Yeah. And it's not Mark that's standing there. It's a half naked man, bottom half naked. And he's wearing Mark's skinned face as a mask. And while Josh is distracted by this sight... Someone hits him on the head with a mallet. And we see this man who is Ulf, we'll learn later. 
he is wearing Mark's face and he just stands over Josh's body and like ominously groans. It's really disgusting to Mm -hmm. see. Yeah. So the next morning, Christian and Danny sit down at breakfast and she asks if Mark is still off with Inga. And also, where is Josh? Christian couldn't give less of a shit. Yep. One of the elders then stands up and informs everyone that this morning, the 19th book of Ruby Radar was found missing, and they just ask whoever took it, return it to its original place. Then after breakfast, the elders go to Christian, Danny, and Pele and ask where Josh is. And Christian's like, I don't know. And the elders are like, hmm, he and Mark have disappeared, you know, the same day that the book goes missing. That's a little suspicious. Yeah. And Christian's like, I don't know anything. And Danny does mention that she saw Mark was with Inga last night. And Christian's like, Mark wouldn't have done this. You know, and if Josh did take the book, then he hopes that they know they don't condone that behavior and really just tries to distance himself. He's like, yeah, I could see Josh doing it. Like, we definitely don't think that's right. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And Pele says he feels responsible. And the elder says that maybe him and Father Odd should go and look for them and redeem this. So they tell Danny she'll be joining the woman today. And that Siv wants to see Christian in her house. Fun fact, this is the last time that Christian and Danny speak to one another for the rest of the movie. Ooh. They do a quick, like, you okay? Yeah, you okay? Yeah. And we do not see them speak again, which is wild. So we see all the women gather in the field. They're wearing these beautiful white dresses and their flower crowns, and they are served a special tea for the competition. Keep the mushrooms coming. Mm Mm-hmm. There are absolutely drugs in this tea, uh, so they drink the tea and get into maypole position. Danny looks down at her feet at those canvas toms, and she sees grass growing out of her feet, so... She is once again high. I will say that, like, the the visual effects that they do to, like, show when somebody is high in this movie I think are very well done because they're a lot more subtle and it's not distracting. Like, you can still see everything that's going on. It'll just, like, they'll warp people's faces a little bit or they'll make, right. like, the trees move a little bit. I thought it was, like, very subtle and well done. I was reading about the uh, special effects and apparently they had, like, 60 iterations mm. of some of the scenes and how they wanted to portray the drug trips. Mm -hmm. And ultimately they decided on something like muted enough that you could see what was happening, but it didn't detract from the content of the film. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it struck a really great balance. Definitely. So we then hear one of the women say the speech in Swedish, and we do have subtitles for this one, which is nice. We're clued in. She says, it was here long ago that the black one lured the youths of Harga to the grass and seduced them into a dance. Once they began, they could not stop, and they danced themselves to death. Now, in life-holding defiance of the black one, we dance until we fall, 
and she who survives last will be crowned for her stamina. And I was reading that like this is a a very accurate uh, depiction of like a speech that somebody will give at the start of a maypole dance that there's this like folk story about the devil coming and like making Whoa. everybody dance, you know, until their deaths. And like, that's where maypole dancing comes from. Um, but like, it's more so this movie's twist to have it like be a competition and there's like a May queen. So the music starts, the dance begins. We see this like really cool shot of everybody like bowing in unison, except for Danny, because she doesn't know she's supposed to do that. So we just see her like standing over all these bodies and then while holding hands, everybody begins dancing in a circle. So we go to Christian, who is in Siv's house, and he's looking at a mural of a bear being burned alive. And Siv welcomes him into another room, and they sit across from each other, very close, but across from each other. <laughs> and he says he has no idea where Josh is, and Siv asks him how he feels about Maya. Because he has been approved to mate with her. They're an ideal astrological match. And she has fixed her hopes on him. And Christian's like, I think I ate one of her pubic hairs. And Siv is like, that's probably right. <laughs> ah, I'm like, they're an astrological match. Tell me more about it. Let me see the charts. Like, I want to know. Yeah, what is it? What what's yeah. that natal chart looking like? Yeah, what what Venus signs are we looking at here? But <laughs> so Christian leaves Siv's house and sees the Maypole competition well underway. Meanwhile, Danny is having the time of her life. Like she's actually smiling mm-hmm. and enjoying herself. As they're dancing, we see like two girls fall and they stop the music and they start a new portion of the dance where you have to like trade off partners and stuff. In the process of this, Danny accidentally bumps into a girl who like immediately vomits and exits the competition. I didn't notice she vomited. Oh my God. Yeah, it was shocking to me. <laughs> um, but Christian sits down to watch the dance. When suddenly, who falls out of the competition right at that moment but Maya, who of course gives him the eyes as she walks by. The competition keeps going until there's only eight girls left. Danny is still in. We see everybody raising their hands and doing um, like the sign language motion for applause. Mm -hmm. Everybody is doing it except for Christian. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. So that's when one of the girls comes over to Christian and hands him some of the tea. And she says it's spring water with special properties. Special properties being mushrooms. Yeah, being drugs. And Christian asks what it does. And she says it puts down your defenses and opens you up for the influence. Christian said, like, he initially is hesitant and says he doesn't, you know, you know, want to have a bad trip or anything, but she assures him that he won't. He then looks over at Maya and he makes the choice to down the tea. So he's decided that he's going to go along with this Maya mating situation. Meanwhile, the dance keeps going and. Uh, the woman who is like calling the dance, she yells at them to stop, reverse. Like she yells these directions intermittently. 
And eventually it's just three of them left. And like these girls are getting delirious yeah. as they're circling around. And in her like delirious high state, Danny like is speaking Swedish with these mm-hmm. women and like can understand them. They're like on a different plane of existence right now. But then the other two girls bump into each other and Danny is the last one left standing. She is Ooh. the May Queen. Oh, wow. A huge fanfare. They run over. They give her a fancy new flower crown and this beautiful flower bib. They rush her over to take a picture with the whole community and then just a close-up of her face. And everybody hugs her and fawns over her. And Danny is like very overwhelmed. She sees all of these faces coming at her and we see that they're like warped. And she also hallucinates one of them being her mother. Yeah. I feel like that where um because i think she sees her mother and her father pass by her and i think it's like um almost like a sign of closure Mm. for her because she's finally seeing them as like people and not as like being poisoned right essentially um and she's seeing them in this in this family community setting as well yeah And then, like, Pele goes over to her and, like, fully gives her a kiss on the mouth. Open mouth kiss. Yeah. Little tongue in there. I was shocked. She then steps onto a platform and they raise her up in the air and they start, like, walking her towards this dinner table. And we have this incredible wide shot where we see, like, all these people behind Danny as she is on this platform. And the crazy thing is in the trees in the background you can see her sister's face with the gas mask, like, in the trees. I don't like that, and I won't be looking back over that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very, very subtle. I, like, did not notice it while watching it. I read about it afterwards. But, yeah, that's really creepy and unsettling. But, yeah, as Danny is being carried to this dinner table, we see Christian just, like, slowly walking alone in the back towards the table. Mm-hmm. So we go to the dinner table, and this time Danny is at the head of the table as the whole community is staring at her. And Christian, like, is the last to arrive. He slowly makes his way to his seat and eventually sits down. Danny touches the leaves on her throne, still very high. It looks like as she touches the leaves, they. She kind of has, like, control of them. Yeah. And she picks up her fork and knife. As soon as she touches her plate, everyone else follows suit. Christian is also clearly really high and just looks, like, terrified. Like, he is having a bad trip. Mm -hmm. And when Danny gets distracted by a woman offering her some herring as a good luck tradition she's like whole thing tail first <laughs> they they shove it right in her mouth and danny's like no <laughs> and everyone like laughs and they're like good try good try like that was very nice <laughs> and christian taps the shoulder of a man next to him and asks what's going on and the man just claps in his face and christian is terrified yeah he's like oh, why did you do that <laughs> And we see the whole, like, scene around him get really distorted. And everyone toasts to the May Queen and drinks. And they tell Danny that she is in their family now. 
So Christian looks over at Maya, who gets up from the table and motions for him to follow her. And Christian watches her slowly walk away. Danny notices this exchange, too. Meanwhile, Pele is drawing a portrait of Danny. Again, if this was a different movie... Different movie, different day, (laughs) different year. In another life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Siv stands up and says, now it's time for the May Queen to bless their crops and livestock. So Danny stands and asks if Christian can come with her, but Siv says the queen must ride alone. Ain't that always the case? Yeah. (laughs) Danny is handed a torch and walks behind this flower girl who's tossing petals right up to her carriage. And the carriage itself is pulled by other women, and they take her to go bless the crops. While this is happening, another woman tosses flower petals on the ground, leading to Christian. And Christian goes down that path. And the woman back in the field bury some grain, a piece of meat, and crack an egg into the ground and put dirt over it. And then have Danny sing this Swedish hymn, I guess, to bless the crops. Yeah. So we see Christian change into this uh, ceremonial robe, and one of the elders opens this tiny little, like, black pot, and some, like, smoke comes out of it, and he's like, breathe this in. It's for vitality. So Christian breathes it in, and then he heads towards the Ruby Radar room, where, as the door opens, we see Maya laying naked in a bed of flowers, And there's a chorus of naked women standing behind her, just like swaying and singing together. A woman comes over to take off Christian's robe and we see him lean over Maya and they very intensely stare at each other and he leans in to kiss her. I was reading before we started recording that this actor was like really pro his full frontal nudity in this movie because obviously in horror movies there's often a lot of female nudity but we rarely ever see like men being naked but he wanted to like do that and push that boundary and also like to flip the freaking script yeah and he wanted to like feel really vulnerable and feel like the humiliation of this character and said that like doing it in the moment like it was even more like challenging than he thought it would be because it it is a hard thing to do but yeah so christian and maya start having sex and maya like turns her head and looks out at like the women standing behind her and reaches her arm out to like touch this woman so the woman comes over and like touches maya's hand to her face and sings directly to her while like christian is having sex with her She then touches Christian's face and sings to him and Maya joins in in the singing and we like all the women kind of start like singing. I don't even singing isn't even the right word for it. They're like vocalizing in unison. We also see in the background that Ruben, the Oracle is just laying on his bed in the corner of the room watching this all happen. It's a one of like the craziest scenes I've ever seen in a movie probably 
it's extremely intense for sure yeah it's um well it's definitely like a community event mm-hmm. and the way that they're using him is very transactional yeah and i feel like the fact that he realizes he's not in control of the situation at all is like very degrading yeah to him because he is so narcissistic and self-centered it's a shock to him that in a i guess in a sexual sense he would be used like he would be mm-hmm. the one to be so vulnerable yeah so back to Danny. The carriage arrives back at the camp and Danny is told she needs to go to Siv's house for a special meeting of the queens and there Siv will bless her. But we can literally hear the chanting and moaning from the Ruby Radar room and Danny asks what that is and the women tell her it's not for them. But Danny doesn't listen. So she heads toward the room, but the woman stops her and she's like, really, you shouldn't. Danny realizes what's going on and heads straight for the room. She bends down and looks through the keyhole and sees and just starts sobbing and crying. And she runs out and vomits like right in front of the house. Yeah. Then the woman rush over to help her to her feet and bring her to the sleeping quarters. And Danny lays on the bed as the woman like touch her and like comfort her and try to like shush her, almost like a baby that's crying. They're really like protective of her. And Danny starts panicking and crawling on the floor and the woman all breathe in unison with her and they begin crying out and screaming with her. And this is like... One of the, I feel like the picture of this scene mm-hmm. also got spread a lot around on the internet. Yeah. Um, but it is a very intense because so much of the movie has been leading up to her having this break with Christian and realizing who he is. And I feel like this moment for her really clarified that they're not meant to be together and she needs to let go of him. Yeah. And especially because she she cries a lot in this movie but she's always crying by herself pretty much. Oh, yeah. So seeing her, like, crying with all these women who are, like, going through it with her mm-hmm. is very intense. And I, I feel like, you know, I definitely understand that, like, very intense, like, female rage and, like, despair and that, like, all-encompassing feeling. So seeing it externalized like that with an entire group of women, like, in unison, like, their bodies heaving and screaming and crying, it's, like, incredibly cathartic to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree completely with, like, this is the first time that she's being comforted through her emotional uh, turmoil. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly a... a huge like support system that she's never experienced before so her ability to work through the turmoil is like forever changed with this experience it also made me think of like being in a group of like close friends who when you're like venting to them or like Mm. you're struggling or something and everyone's just like really there for you and like it's almost animalistic the way that they're comforting her because they're not saying anything or offering any like words of wisdom. It's really just like 
allowing her to feel her emotions completely while letting her know that they like support her. Yeah. And it's validation too, especially after she's been gaslit every time she's had any sort of feeling by Christian. Yeah. So like single time. Just have these women like do it with her is validating that those feelings are real because there's somebody else experiencing them and she can't like overthink it and like talk herself out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such a powerful scene. It's probably like my favorite in the movie because it just makes such a strong statement. Yeah, absolutely. So we then go back to Christian who is, you know, continuing – with Maya, the the synchronized vocalization is happening. We see a woman go over and she's literally like pushing Christian's ass to like make him go harder. And he eventually finishes and Maya squeezes her legs together and like rocks back and forth and just says, I can feel it. I can feel the baby. So Christian is kind of like after this broken out of this trance state the post nut clarity uh kicks in kicks in real quick and he runs out of the room just like into the field he sees like people around he's fully naked and he you know tries to cover himself up he's about to run into the sleeping quarters but he can hear the group screaming crying so he then runs over to another area but what does he see sticking out of the ground in the little garden but Josh's leg? Mm-hmm. Confirmation that Josh is no longer with us. Christian then runs into a chicken coop to hide. But there he is confronted with some more horror. And it is Simon's dead body strung up over the chickens with his back splayed open. It's, again, very graphic and horrific. And this is, like, a real practice that, like, used to be done, I want to say, in, like, the Middle Ages. There's a name for it. Oh, really? I was wondering if he was actually dead, though, because you see air in his lungs. Like, the lungs are... Okay, it's a Viking method um, detailed in skaldic poetry. But... I don't even want to describe this because, like, it's really graphic. But when it was done, it was done to the person while they were alive. And so they wouldn't die from that. They would basically die from, like, blood loss. So I think that's why they're showing, like, the lungs breathing to reference that. But also, like, the fact that he's tripping. Like, of course, Simon is no longer alive at this point. But, yeah, apparently it was done. Um while the person was alive. Of course, there's like a lot of debate as to whether this was like a real thing that was done or if it's just like a mistranslation of ancient texts or whatever. Right. But it, it, yeah, the blood eagle is like a, it's a thing. So yeah, he sees this. We also see that there are like flowers adorned on his arms and like flowers shoved into his eye sockets as well. So Christian he actually like fully bends under to like look at Simon's face, which like is, I don't understand that impulse, but whatever. He then like stands back up. As soon as he stands back up, one of the town elders blows some dust into his face and Christian falls down completely paralyzed and the elder closes his eyes. Yeah. 
later on, Christian is woken up by one of the women in the community, very cheerful lady, who tells him, you can't speak or move, okay? Okay. And like walks away. And everyone is gathered. It's the day of their deity of reciprocity to give special thanks Danny is sitting on her throne, just covered in a mountain of flowers. And Siv says today they will surrender nine human lives as Harga takes, so Harga also gives. For every new life sacrificed, they will give one of their own, four from Harga, and one to be chosen by the queen. The four new bloods have already been supplied, which are Mark, Josh, Connie, and Simon, They have already sacrificed two of their own, the elders, and two people have volunteered, Ingemar and Ulf, who both brought outside offerings. And since Pell brought new blood and their new May Queen, he will be honored for his unclouded intuition. Now, it's time for the May Queen to choose for the ninth offering, either one of their own or one of the pre-selected bloods. And they have this like bingo type raffle thingy where they spin it and a ball comes out and the pre-selected community member is Turbion. So Turbion is in front of Danny and they wheel Christian in front of her as well. And they tell her, like, we, we await your decision. Danny looks over at Christian with tears in her eyes, and there's just this perfect slow zoom on Florence Pugh. And her full, like, emotional breath is, like, on display. Yeah. Very intense. Whew. So... We see the various dead bodies of the visitors brought over to the sacred temple by Wheelbarrow. They're all wearing the same tunics, and we see that most of them are um, stuffed with, like, different flowers and fauna. We see... One is stuffed with the apples in the body. Yeah. We see Mark's body specifically looks like a scarecrow where it's stuffed with hay because he was skinned alive. And some of you may remember the game that was mentioned earlier in the movie, Skin Skin the the Fool. Fool. They also have Mark's dead body wearing a jester hat. So needless to say, Mark was the fool. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty horrific. But the worst of all is Christian. So you also may remember Chekhov's bear. They disembowel the bear and they sew Christian up into its body with his face exposed just under the bear's mouth. It's probably one of the most like disgusting things I've ever seen. And we hear one of the elders say, Mighty and dreadful beast, with you we purge our most unholy affects. We banish you now to the deepest recesses where you may reflect on your wickedness. We also see an elder give Ingemar and Ulf some 
drugs so that they don't feel any fear or pain. Yeah. It's like from the yew tree or something. Yeah. They then set the hay bales inside the building. It's it's in the temple, the triangular temple. The hay bales are set on fire. Danny watches as it burns. We see as the flames are engulfing everything. Ingemar and Ulf look at each other and smile until the flames reach them and they start screaming. And as they scream in pain, the entire community also starts screaming and like writhing Mm -hmm. in pain as the entire building is on fire. Danny is screaming and trying to run away in her like gigantic May Queen costume. And she looks around at everybody screaming and crying and convulsing. She then looks back over at the burning temple as it collapses. And this shot fades right back into a shot of her face. And we see slowly Danny smiles. The end! <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. I have so many thoughts on this movie, mm-hmm. but I will condense. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, God, I guess 2019 was one year after we graduated. Mm-hmm. And I I just feel like the life experiences I've had since th- then have really impacted the way that I view this movie. Yeah. There's like so much trauma that she experiences. And it also kind of makes you think about, or makes me think about the way that people support one another and the community that you need in order to cope and like discerning what or who is like actually there for you Uh, and the cycle of like life and like coping with grief is a big theme in the movie. Yeah. It just covers so much like her evolution in the film happens in, in so many ways, like her realizing her worth and realizing Christian, like seeing him for who he really is and finding like this family and becoming like, more confident and seeing herself as something that's like worthwhile. Yeah. It's God, it's such an interesting movie. And like you said, it does cover so much ground. Mm -hmm. I think the ending in particular is like so impactful because I, I talked about this kind of at the beginning of the episode, but like, it's such a satisfying ending to see like, you know, the shitty boyfriend is burning alive and like she is like you know freed and she has this community that like loves her and accepts her but it's also like cost (laughs) yeah it's like a freaking cult call it what you want it's definitely a cult and (laughs) she is now isolated in a completely different way than she was before because Mm -hmm. she was such a vulnerable person 
she's the perfect target. I don't think it's a coincidence that Pele is suddenly very excited that she's coming now that she's had this horrific event happen in her life. It's not like he was inviting her and wanting her to come on the trip before. Yeah. Well, I guess, do you think, though, it's because she's vulnerable or do you feel like he genuinely thinks that because of what she's just experienced that he can like help her like that the community will help her i mean i think he believes that he's helping her but he is also like you know indoctrinated into this same community it's what he's grown up with and he talks about at the beginning how his parents burned up in a fire what fire do you think they burned up in? i was i was wondering that i was like mm-hmm. were they a sacrifice they i'm like a thousand percent sure that they were a sacrifice and the only way that he was able to cope with the fact that like he lost his parents to this like horrific way was to like really latch onto this community and like convince himself that it's for the greater good, that it's for like this very important purpose. And um, yeah, it's it's really easy to be seduced by somebody like Pele who appears so kind and open hearted. And I do think like really genuinely believes the things that he's saying to her, but like it is manipulation. And he is like, she is being pulled into this fold and they're definitely like insinuating that Danny and Pele are like probably going to get married and they're going to be mates now. And like Danny is probably going to stay in this community. Um, especially because they say to her, like you're in our family now. So in some ways, it's, like, something that she needs. She needs that community. She needs that, like, support. But again, at what cost? So it's Mm – yeah, it it leaves me with a lot of mixed feelings, whereas I think the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, good for her. Love that for her. (laughs) Slay queen. (laughs) But – I had the opposite reaction because the first time I saw it, I was like – well, I think that I was, like, confused on a lot of the movie, honestly, but Mm – I was confused why her sister killed her parents in the beginning because they they really only mention they mentioned that she's like done this a couple of times but they really only mention the bipolar thing once. Yeah. Which gives us some insight into why she has these like moments where it seems like she's going to commit suicide or like everything is wrong in her life, right? But I thought it was somehow connected back to the cult. Like initially, I thought that she had some sort of ties with the events that happened later, but there isn't any. Like it's really a separate incident. And I also just didn't realize how shitty Christian was the first time I saw it. I like really did not tune into that subtext and – So this time seeing it, I was way more acutely aware of the different characters' perspectives and, like, their mannerisms. Mm -hmm. Like, Simon – well, Simon and Connie don't have as big of a role, but, like, Mark being super careless and very interested in his own endeavors and, like, hooking up with someone while he's there. Everyone except Danny actually has an ulterior motive, like – Christian is really lost and he just wants a fun time. Josh is um, doing his research and he's like, oh, I need to go to do my research. 
Mark is going to try to hook up with someone. And so Danny's intentions seem like the purest out of the entire group. Yeah. So that coupled with like trauma that she's just endured make her, I guess, yeah, susceptible to the rituals and fitting into the community, but also make her like the purest attendee. Yeah, there definitely it definitely feels like there's a sense of justice in like the people who are Which disrespectful. Which is also twisted. Yeah. Yeah, it's so twisted that like the people who are disrespectful or careless or self-serving suffer the fate that they do. And Danny is rewarded for being a pure-hearted individual. Right. The dynamics are so interesting. I agree, yeah. So it I mean it does make me question if it's a horror, like a true horror film, mm-hmm. or if it's more of a like historical fiction, I don't I, that that doesn't really frame it well either. But I just mean that it's there are murders in it, and there are like disturbing things that happen in it. Yeah, but is it a horror film? Like, well. I'm look so I'm looking at Wikipedia and it's classified as folk horror, which is a subgenre. So let me read out some descriptors. Okay. Typical elements include a rural setting, isolation, themes of superstition, folk religion, paganism, sacrifice, and dark aspects of nature. Okay, so it's a folk horror. <laughs> yeah. Although related to supernatural horror, folk horror usually focuses on the beliefs and actions of people rather than supernatural and often deals with naive outsiders coming up against these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it isn't, I guess, it's hard to say if no one would have died, but it does make me think that if everyone – was respectful of the customs, even if they didn't join the community, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have died. Like, if they had just been like, okay, I'm accepting it, I'm going to take whatever comes, then they would have been able to make it to the end of the festival. But they still need nine people at the end of the day. Right. I don't know. Uh, They, They need four outsiders, four of their own, and one chosen by the May Queen. Um, like I mentioned, like nine is a very common number. This festival is nine days. They need nine people. It only happens every 90 years. Um, and also the the life phases that they go through, those ages are all multiples of nine. Yeah. But I do think it's a very well-crafted movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I very, agree. Very, very well-crafted. And so detailed. Yes, definitely. Um I think the pacing is really great. It is a long movie for sure, but it keeps me enthralled the whole time. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's really great the way that it's framed as like, we're watching a breakup movie and that is, that storyline is intertwining with this whole like outsider coming in fish out of water story. Mm -hmm. We're immersing ourselves in this like very peculiar, very specific culture that is like so far removed from us that we like don't really get a lot of access to. So I think those two elements playing together, there's so much to latch onto even when not a lot is happening. And the slow pace of it combined with like the never ending daylight really puts you in this state where you lose all track of of time i think 
everyone should go see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless you really don't like visually gory stuff. But just for the cinematography even and and the script, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just very, very smartly made. And I think that when I – it's because it's so hard for me to like pinpoint um, – exactly what I like got from the movie because it's very all-encompassing like it doesn't just focus on one very specific theme Mm -hmm. it really shows you the full breadth of what Danny experiences which is like community and also this tension with her boyfriend and also like Maybe having like this new crush and And these traditions and and yeah, grief. There's so much that falls into the film, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel overwhelming. Like the story makes sense, even though it's covering a lot of different topics. Yeah. Oh boy. What are you writing this one? I don't know, dude. I I can't watch it again for like a year. Yeah, it's too much. I truly only usually watch it like I, I think I've seen it twice before this. It's a really good. Mo- it's a very well made movie. Yeah, I'll give it an eight point five. Yeah, I was also gonna give it an eight point five. There you go. It's very well done. I know that it's like a bit of a polarizing one. Some people really don't like it, which is like surprising to me. But it makes sense. Like yeah. I don't know what you could fault it for. Like it's visually pleasing. The storyline is great follow through. Yeah. I think people's like a lot of people's criticism of it was like, it's not scary. It's just unsettling. I'm like, well, then go watch a scary movie for that. Not everything is for everything. What do you okay? want from the movie? You want a jump scare, bro? That that's feels such, cheap. That's so fifth grade. Yeah. Grow up. <laughs> Get a job. Grow up. <laughs> watch something unsettling. Watch a psychological thriller. That's what I would. Mm. That's what I would classify this as, like a psychological thriller more than a horror film. Because I'm thinking of like American Psycho, for example, mm-hmm. which I guess it, I guess it could be considered a horror film. But psychological thriller just seems more accurate because it's more to do with one's personal experience than mm-hmm. it is about like some horrible force that I'm like afraid of. Right. I think, I guess I, when I think about horror, like I I would consider this a horror movie because of the gore that's in it. Yeah. That's where it kind of separates from thriller for me. Um, It's just like a different pace than you normally see for a horror movie. And it it does like take a lot of conventions and flip them on it, on their head, especially like the fact that this entire thing, like we said, takes place in the daylight. So yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's really good. I would recommend watching it. If you are a little bit squeamish, you may want to fast forward or just like cover your eyes at a couple of moments. I'm sure you can find the timestamps like on the internet if you need to. But yeah, it's a good one. And I recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it. Definitely. And if you do like horror movies, I mean, watch Hereditary and this movie. Maybe not in the same time. <laughs> Yeah, my pillow a little, a little heavy. <laughs> they're both really well done. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can't believe that's the end of Spooktober. It went by so yeah. fast. It really ran through it. But we hope you enjoyed our lineup of indie movies. And 
We have no clue what November holds. <laughs> no movie yes. November. Should we do only reality TV shows? Yeah, like let us know how you feel about us doing like an America's Next Top Model episode or like a The Simple Life or The Hills or Laguna Beach. Like The Bachelor, The Golden yeah. Bachelor. Do you want us to do Bachelor or like... Is this a Bachelor pod now? Love is Blind because guess what? Reality shows, they are not struck content. And also documentaries. Do you want to see us do... Miss Americana, perhaps. Uh, let us know. Or um, the Britney Spears documentary. That one's yeah. sad. I mean, yeah. But yeah, there's so many documentaries. Yeah. Three Identical Strangers. <laughs> Very sad documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, let us know if you have any thoughts, ideas, what kind of stuff you want to hear. Do you like the album reviews? Should we do more of those? Maybe just some general pop culture chit chat. We'll we'll throw some ideas around. But yeah, looking looking forward to some new stuff on the pod next month. And if you want even more stuff from us, you can of course always subscribe to our Patreon. This month we did Coraline and it was such a blast. So go check that out for your last Halloween fill. You can also follow us on Instagram at Movies That Raised Us. You can follow us on Twitter at MTRU underscore pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Movies That Raised Us pod. And you can always send us a good old-fashioned email at Movies That Raised Us at gmail.com. And we will see you next week for who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Something. That's for sure. <laughs> there will be content. Yeah. That's not stopping. <laughs> I'm Mo. And I'm Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.